Well, as Matthew mentioned, my name's Kyle, and I get to lead the Orange Campus uh, of Friends Church, and it's always a privilege to be here with you guys when Matthew's off. Today, he had the Friends Conference. He's speaking somewhere else tomorrow, and so he invited me to come back, and you didn't have a choice, so I'm glad you guys showed up anyway. Uh, But it's always great getting to see some familiar faces and getting to meet new ones, so I'm glad we get to be together, because this... This is a big weekend, right? Super Bowl weekend, everybody's ready. I see some jerseys, a lot of red. I see a lot of Chiefs, not a lot of 49ers, right? I don't know what's happening there. More Rams than 49ers in the room, actually. But it's interesting, like tomorrow we get to see these two guys live out their dreams, right? Two people in front of all of us living out their dreams. It's interesting, there's about 4 million kids age 8 to 18 that play football, and all of them probably, look at this one tweet from a high school junior. He said this, I bet it feels amazing to be the quarterback who says, I'm going to Disney World after winning the Super Bowl, right? Isn't that fantastic? You know who that was? Patrick Mahomes. In 2013, that was his tweet as a high school junior. He's living his dream out. You know what's more amazing? Over 110 million of us are going to watch these guys live their dreams out as we gather around food and gluttony just for a weekend. It's fantastic, right? But we get to see people live their dreams out. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I start to feel that way in life. Sometimes I start to feel like I'm watching people live their dreams out more than living my own dream out. Anybody ever feel like that? Maybe you had a dream as a high school junior, or maybe even as a kid when you were eight or 18. And what was that dream, and how did that turn out for you? All of us end up in these places where we're living a life, and sometimes it feels like we're so far away from the dream that we had. We end up so far away from the the family system that we thought we were going to have when we grew up. We end up so far away from the school or the education or the experience that we thought we would have in college. We end up so far away from the work or the job that we thought we were going to do. We end up so far away from the dream. And that's why I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight because what if, what if the dream is still possible for you? What if you've don't have to walk through life feeling like you're watching other people live out their dreams. But God can actually reawaken dreams in you. What if he can actually restore and rebuild? What if he can give you dreams that are bigger than what you ever imagined? That is what I believe God wants to do in you and through you tonight. See, we're continuing this series, Defying the Odds, Overcoming Adversity with grit and grace. And if you were here last week, you know that we've been looking at and learning from this guy in the Old Testament named Joseph, this guy who had a dream. And so today we're gonna look at three foundational qualities to build your life on, where you can see dreams come alive in your life instead of watching them in somebody else's, where you can live the dream and not just watch the dream. So I wanna invite you guys to grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, I know there's some under the seats. Lots of you guys use technology, which is fantastic. But we're still in Genesis. Genesis chapter 39. If you were here last week, we looked at chapter 37. Chris did a great job just launching into this series with Joseph, right? The dreamer. And that dream got him into some trouble. 
Got him into some trouble with his brothers, if you remember. Got him into some trouble with his dad. And ultimately, at the very end of that chapter, he lands in slavery in Egypt. That is where we're going to pick up the story tonight, with Joseph enslaved. So look at Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now, Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the house of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph the personal attendant. He put him in charge of the entire household and everything he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. This is amazing. Think about this for a moment. This is a teenager, about 17, 18 years old, in a foreign country, enslaved by an Egyptian master. Different food, different culture. He couldn't be farther away from his dream. No freedom, no family. Miles away. And yet, in these few verses, you start to see there's this crazy favor and blessing that starts to unfold. And this is where we see the first quality about defying the odds in our life. Look at verse two again. It said, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Two times we see that the Lord was with Joseph. And here's what's interesting about that, right? The presence of the Lord is not synonymous with power. The presence of the Lord is not synonymous with wealth. The presence of the Lord, then, is not synonymous with authority or any of those things, because Joseph didn't possess any of those at this point. We learn that the presence of the Lord is synonymous with what? Why did Potiphar notice the presence of the Lord in Joseph? It says this, as he served. You see, Potiphar noticed the presence of the Lord was on Joseph as he served. And that's something that we see, right? If, you're gonna, if you want a life that defies the odds, you've got to build your life on sacrificial service. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us as we look at the entire biblical context. Everyone should just nod and say amen. Everybody just say Amen. We, you're not very excited about sacrificial service, are you? Everybody say amen. amen. That's right. See, we know that this is the whole story of the Bible. We know that this is part of the formation of God's people, the Israelites, right? And we know that ultimately when he gives them, right, he says, I want to be your God and you're going to be my people. And here's the thing, I'm going to bless you so that you can have everything for yourself. That's not what he says, right? I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. We know that that's the heart of God. That's his character. That's his nature. And we see that as Joseph, right, is serving, like that's what he notices. That's what he blesses. We see it in Jesus. He just told people straight out. He said, I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And then at the Last Supper, before, he's, he, before he goes to the cross and before he returns to heaven, what does he do? He wraps a towel around his waist. And he says, I'm going to give you this example, this model to follow. 
to serve one another. We see it in Acts 2 as the early church is being formed. We see that they're forming themselves around these these key principles and qualities. We just did a series on it in January called Flourish, if you want to go back and look at it. But one of them is, as they served one another, as they loved one another, the whole world started to pay attention, and it gave them this favor and this blessing. People wanted to be a part of this community. And I don't know about you, but it's pretty startling to me that Joseph, a teenager, miles away from his dream, miles away from his family, enslaved, at this point, what does he do? He's serving in such a way that Potiphar notices the presence of the Lord in his life. What do people notice in your life when you go through hard things? What do they notice on a day-to-day basis? What does your family notice about you and your house? What does people in your workplace notice when things might get a little stressful or don't go your way? Because here's the thing. The smallest things in life sometimes don't go my way. And like, you don't notice the presence of the Lord, right? So today, literally, my wife and I are driving around. We got to run some errands. And there's a driver in front of me, all of a sudden, who's slowing down so slow, I miss the light. And I'm like, oh! And then I miss the next three. And now I'm like 15 minutes behind on my day. And I'm so mad, I'm talking to the guy who can't hear me in the car in front of me. That's how I respond when things don't go my way. I don't know about you, but this is a teenage boy. I tend to whine. I start to complain. And even if I don't say anything, I think it. And I know you do too. There's just, oh, my heart, I get so frustrated and angry. I want to complain about things. But we don't see that in Joseph. He's in the midst of one of the hardest seasons of his life. And yet he's serving in such a way, people that don't believe what he believes, they don't speak his language, they don't look like him, they don't talk like him, and yet he's serving them in such a way they can see the Lord. So back to that question. If you're going to build a life that defies the odds, we have to build our lives on sacrificial service. And what are people noticing about your life? What would people say about you? Do they see sacrificial service everywhere you go? Another foundational quality we see in verse 6b, it says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife, she soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Now, if you read down, I'll just summarize the story for you, because it's kind of like a scandalous Hallmark movie. <laughs> so here's what's happened. One day, this just all this pressure keeps coming. He's trying to stay out of her way, but they end up alone in a room. And all of a sudden, she reaches out and she grabs a hold of him. She stops and grabs his arm. You know what he does? He just rips out of the jacket, like you see in the movies and stuff. And so she's just stuck there in this room alone holding his robe. Those darn robes always get Joseph in trouble, don't they? If you were here last week, oh man, here it is two chapters later. And so she tells the servants, like, oh, Joseph, he was here and he tried to attack me. He tried to assault me. Look, he left his robe. She tells the same story to her husband Potiphar. So he comes home, they all believe it. 
And so Joseph, of course, ends up not just in slavery, he ends up in prison in Egypt. And this is where we see this whole experience shows us the second quality, that if you want a life that defies the odds, you have to build your life on self-denial. You have to build your life on sacrificial service, and you have to build your life on self-denial. You see, here's what's interesting to me. I mean, don't you think it would have been really easy for Joseph just to justify and rationalize? Potiphar probably had multiple wives. Probably he didn't take care of any of them. Who was going to tell? We're alone in this place. Nobody's ever going to know. Right? And sometimes we get lots of power. We get lots of influence. And we start to think we're entitled to it. We deserve it. Or sometimes it could be the other thing. Maybe Joseph, because he was alone and forgotten, maybe all those nights where he was a little bitter at God, he could have turned bitter, whiny, complained, and just said, I deserve this. God, you didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm going to have a little fun. I'm going to take what I deserve. So why didn't he? You see, this is a beautiful lesson. It says, it would be a great sin against God. He knew, Joseph knew, that the prison of sin was worse than slavery. He knew that the prison of sin was worse than a dream deferred. And so do we. We understand when we make decisions and choices that bring pain into our life, that create distance in our relationships with one another, oftentimes just create shrapnel in families or workplaces. It's awful. And even the things that we just hide and keep to ourselves, the things that keep us awake at night, the things that Satan wants to wake us up in the morning with, it's terrible. Just the shame, the guilt, the fear. You see, Joseph knew that the prison of sin was way worse than slavery. And that's why he said it would be a great sin against God. And so, when we end up in those places, like how do we get there in the first place? There's this principle that I've seen play out in lots of different places in life, and I see it play out in my life and in people's lives as it relates to sin too. And it's kind of like things happen gradually and then all of a sudden. It's like there's kind of this slow burn to things, and then all of a sudden you rush there, and all of a sudden we end up in a place that we never imagined. Let me give you an example from the Bible, Adam and Eve. Let's go back to the very first sin. We talk about this often, right? They have everything they could want. Talk about a dream life. Adam and Eve have it. God says it's good. It's amazing. They're in communion with God and each other. It's fantastic. And then what happens? Well, Satan comes along, and he just kind of starts whispering. And what's the first thing he does? He lies. Well, did God really say? He just kind of twists the truth. And what happens? Well, all of a sudden, Eve starts doubting. She starts questioning God. Well, I don't know, is God really good? Would God really withhold things from me? And all of a sudden, that, that questioning, that lie and that questioning and that doubt, all of a sudden that turns into this desire for the, the one thing that they couldn't have became the one thing they wanted more than anything. And all of a sudden, it turns into this obsession. And that's where you see things happen gradually, and then all of a sudden. And we see that's the way it plays out. Gradually, and all of a sudden. And so what did Joseph do? I love what it says. It says he kept out of her way as much as possible. Joseph stayed as far away from sin as he could. 
He's like, I'm not going to let this gradual thing take me over and end up in a place that I'm going to regret forever. So I want you to imagine, just play this out for a second. Imagine your life is on this road here for a second. Okay, stop looking at my bald spot. Look at the road. Okay? So here's the thing. Now, if this is a road you're on, now just imagine for a second that you're terrified of heights. Okay? And you know that this is a sheer cliff. That's going to lead to death. If you're going to walk on this road, where are you going to walk? You're going to stay as close to the rock as you can. You're not going to start inching your way over to the cliff. This is death. You're going to die. And so just play this principle out for a moment, if you would, with Potiphar's wife. Right? So she's over here, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, that guy's kind of cute. Oh, wow. And she starts, that lust turns into kind of this supercharged desire. And then that supercharged desire turns into an obsession. And all of a sudden, she's fallen off a cliff. But what did Joseph do? He stayed all the way over here. He's like, I'm not even going to get close. Play it out with Joseph's brothers. Remember that from last week? After the dream and the robe and all that stuff and God's love, they're all over here, right? And all of a sudden, they what? They're jealous. And that jealousy all of a sudden turns to anger. And that anger becomes hatred. And then that hatred all of a sudden becomes, oh, we got to destroy him. And pretty soon, oh, they fell off the cliff. You see, things happen gradually. And then all of a sudden, and the same thing's true in our lives. It's so easy to just say, oh, it's just one drink. I'm just going to have one. It's just a vape. It's just a vape. It's not a cigarette, right? I mean, it just tastes good. What's the big deal? It's just one look. It's just a quick hit on a website. I'm just looking. I'm not touching. It's just one bet. I mean, Super Bowl's tomorrow. Are you kidding me? All the apps? It's just one, it's just one bet. Just this one year. I mean, it's my homes, right? You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you just start inching your way to the cliff because things happen gradually and all of a sudden. So as you think about that road, just where are you in your life right now? And is there any place in your life where you started moving away from the rock towards the cliff? Just take a lesson from Joseph, right? We got to remember, he stayed as close to the rock as he could. Kept out of her way as much as possible. Didn't let gradually and all of a sudden take over his life. Now, here's the thing. For some of you, I know what you're thinking at this point. You're thinking, okay, wait a second. I love this, Kyle. This is fantastic. Except you're telling me and showing me how Joseph is building this life of defying the odds. And he's doing it through sacrificial service and self-denial. And yet he just ended up in prison. So tell me how that works. Explain that to me, how this is a life that defies the odds, right? His whole dreams destroyed, or at the very least, deferred. And maybe that's the way you feel as well. And that's where this last point, I just believe God has something for you in this. Look down at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You see, Joseph remained 
the same. He responded the same in the midst of terrible circumstances. Another dream deferred, an even worse place than he could possibly imagine, which probably was beyond anything he could imagine. But a life that defies the odds is a life that just keeps showing up. It's a life that just keeps showing up and serving, just like he did in prison. It's a life that just keeps showing up and denying himself, just like he did in prison. And those things, a life like that, is what we would call faithfulness. That regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's happening around me, I'm going to hold tightly to who I know I'm called to be. And I'm going to respond with these qualities that have been built into me. And I love this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. Even in a strange land, even in the midst of prison, even in the midst of slavery, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of a dream that had been dashed, even in the midst of a life that had been separated from freedom and family, in the midst of all of that, God was present and he was loving. And what's different this time is it says God showed him his faithful love. He showed him his faithful love. You see, Joseph's life wasn't built on a dream. Joseph's life was built on the dream giver. Joseph's life was not built on the dream. That's not what he held tightly to. Joseph's life was built around the dream giver and his faithful love. And if you want a life that defies the odds, you have to build your life on the dream giver. Because all of the other dreams that you dream, or that maybe someone else dreams for you, or that the world is gonna sell you on, they can disappear so quickly. And so you have to hold tightly to the dream giver, the person of Jesus, a God who will be present always, who will show up in the darkness in the middle of the prison and show you his faithful love. And you may wonder, what did that look like? What did God showing up in that darkness and in the prison look like? I don't know what it looked like for Joseph, but I know what it looks like for me. Because like I said, there were so many times my dreams seemed to die in front of me. Between the time of 18 and 28, I can't tell you how many times. It felt like, this must be it. Oh, that's not it. This must be it. That's not it. It was exhausting. And it wasn't just then. There were moments and times in my 30s and 40s, even just a few years ago, where my dreams literally died right in front of me. And yet, God was present, and he showed me his faithful love. And here's how. He would show me his faithful love as I would read his word. And I didn't read as much, and I couldn't read as long, but there would be words that would jump off the page, promises that I had never seen. He would show me his faithful love as I took walks in the dark around my neighborhood and get texts from friends with passages of scripture saying, I see you and I'm praying for you and I'm with you today. 
He would show me his faithful love. Every night, my wife and I would just grab hands, and we'd be like, where do you think you saw God's love today? And we would just share stories, little glimpses, just little moments. And you see, that's the invitation. God wants to show you his faithful love. You just got to look for it and build your life on the dream giver. Quite honestly, it's one of the things that we see happening in our friend Jay Hewitt. As I've gotten to just watch him, like Potiphar, I've noticed that the Lord is with Jay. The Lord is with him as he serves. The Lord is with him in his self-denial. The Lord is with him as he shows up faithfully. And God's revealing himself to him and just holding him, even in the midst of that. You see, you can't build your life on a dream. You've got to build your life on the dream giver and then just keep showing up with a heart of service and of self-denial. I want to pray over you tonight, if you would. Just close your eyes and bow your heads wherever you are. Just in this moment, in this place of quiet, I just want to invite you guys just to take a deep breath and think for a moment. What was the dream for your life? And how close do you feel like you are to that dream tonight? And if you knew that there was a God who loved you beyond anything that you could comprehend, a God that was powerful, a God that was good, a God that was with you and present, and a God that wanted to show you his faithful love, what is the dream that you have for your life tonight? What's the dream that you have for your marriage? What's the dream that you have for your family? What's the dream that you have for your education? What's the dream that you have for your workplace? What's the dream that you have for your friends? What's the dream? And are you willing to hold tightly to the dream giver, knowing that he will meet you every step of the way with his faithful love? So, Father, tonight, I just pray over every single person in this room. I thank you that you created every single one of them in your image, and you absolutely adore them with your whole heart. And, God, I know that you hate the way that this world, with the sadness and the suffering and the pain and the lies and the fear, I know that you hate when Satan steals the life and the dreams out of your children. And so I pray that tonight you would allow them to dream again. That you would plant in them, God, your dreams, 
your presence, your power, your spirit. That they might be awakened to the life that you have with them and for them and through them. And so as we continue to listen and to respond to your spirit, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, renew our minds, and awaken our dreams. In your name, Jesus, amen.